Hello and welcome to Bad Apple. I'm Helen. And I'm Riley. Thank you for joining us today for our third Adelaide case. And you might think that's not a lot, but this is only episode 33. So one out of every 11 cases has been an Adelaide has case. Has been an Adelaide. That's so true. And they've all been pretty intense. Mm, yeah. The first one was Snowtown and the other one was the family murders. So it was all multiple murders. Mm, serial killings. What's up there? What's up in Adelaide? Australia's murder capital. Yeah. So they say. And there are there are more cases from Adelaide that we're pretty keen on. Mm. The Somerton Man. Beaumont Children. The Truro Murders. I read somewhere on the internet there's this classic Australian anecdote. Mm-hmm. So maybe you know this. Okay. That all this crazy stuff happens in Adelaide because it's the only non-penal colony in ah, Australia. Not convicts. Yeah, just Australians. Vibes. Today's case is a disappearance. Approximately 30,000 people go missing in Australia every year. That's around one every 18 minutes. Two-thirds of these cases are people under the age of 18, and the majority of these are women. Most missing people are found within the first week, but for some families, the uncertainty can continue forever. Such is the case in the disappearance of Joanne Ratcliffe and Kirsty Gordon, who were last seen almost 50 years ago at a football match in the Adelaide Oval. On the 25th of August, 1973, 11-year-old Joanne and 4-year-old Kirsty attended a football match between North Adelaide and Norwood at Adelaide Oval with their families. The two girls left their seats together to go to the bathroom at around 3.45pm, but when they hadn't returned by 4pm, Joanne's mother, Kathleen, became concerned and started to search for the girls. An hour later, the girls had still not returned to their seats. When the game ended around 5pm, crowds swarmed as they left the grounds, and the girls' families became increasingly worried about where they might be and who they might be with. Despite their large age gap, Joanne and Kirsty were well known to each other. The Ratcliffe family and the Gordon family both had season tickets to the football and were seated next to each other every week. At the game in question, Joanne was there with her parents, Les and Kathleen, her older brother, and their family friend, Frank. Kirsty was there with her grandparents as her parents were away visiting friends with their younger daughter. Because the girls were known to each other, it wasn't unusual for Joanne to take Kirsty to the bathroom with her when she went. Their parents only had two rules, don't go in the breaks or during the final quarter. This was to avoid the girls becoming lost in the crowd. Joanne had been to Adelaide Oval a number of times, and it was common for her to go to the bathroom on her own. It was out of character for her to not return to their seats, which is why her mother became concerned so quickly and started looking. The adults split up and searched behind the stands, the car park, the bowling area, the tennis courts, and the women's bathroom, and Kirsty's grandmother stayed at their seats in case the girls returned, but they didn't. Kirsty's parents, who had been away at a function in Renmark, north of Adelaide, had just sat down to dinner when a waitress approached saying that there was a phone call for them. It was Kirsty's grandmother telling them that their daughter was missing. They got straight in the car and began the three-hour drive back to Adelaide. Christine Gordon remembers it as the longest three hours of her life. She remembers a Scottish song coming on the radio called Will Ye No Come Back Again. She burst into tears at the time and still can't listen to the song. One thing to note here is that we're in the 70s mm. and this grandmother just called a restaurant yeah. a landline 
phone mm-hmm. from a football oval. From a landline phone at the football oval. Oh my god. No mobile phones. And so once they got in the car, no contact for three hours until they got there. I guess they must have given them the number of the... Or did she look up in a phone book the restaurant they were at? I have know? a feeling maybe she like called the place they were staying, maybe. And then they were like, oh no, they've just gone to dinner at whatever. Because they were visiting friends. Damn. So maybe she called the friends and then... <sighs> that would be so stressful. And all these phone calls probably cost like $5. That's what impressed me most here. Mm. Was that grandmother? We don't give we don't give her enough credit, but that would have been a really hard call to make. I guess that was the norm at the time, though, having to kind of do a bit of detective work just to call someone. Joanne and Kirsty were spotted three times at the stadium over the next ninety minutes: once alone trying to play with a stray cat, once with another group of children, and later in the company of an unknown man who was carrying Kirsty. The witness was nineteen-year-old Gordon Kilmartin, who'd been working at the ground selling lollies. As he was walking through the Sir Edwin Smith stand, he had to move over for the two girls to pass him and get down the stairs. He said he then saw a man running or trotting towards the gate. He'd seen the same man watching the girls walk through the stand. Once the man caught up with the girls, Gordon saw him pick up Kirsty and carry her towards the gate. Joanne looked frightened and had grabbed the man and kicked him in the shins. This scuffle caused a pair of glasses to fall from the pocket of his coat. When he reached down to pick them up, he grabbed Joanne's arm and dragged her along, past the tennis courts, towards the car park. Gordon saw them near a pine tree, and then they vanished. Gordon says he thought the man was known to the girls, that he was a friend or their father. This was the last time they were seen at the ground. After this, the trio were spotted once crossing a bridge near Adelaide Zoo, around three kilometres from Adelaide Oval. There was also a reported sighting between North Adelaide Railway Station and Port Road, in the suburb of the Barton, which is in the opposite direction to the zoo. Police patrolling the oval searched the ground, surrounding buildings, and adjoining properties after the alarm was raised around 5.12pm. But it's likely that the girls were already far away. Early witness accounts indicated that the girls had been forcibly taken from the ground by a man thought to be aged in his 40s. He had been wearing a sports coat and an akubra, which is a hat. Like a fedora-looking thing. Yeah. It's kind of like our cowboy hat oh. in Australia. If you're, You don't really wear like a big cowboy hat. You just wear an Akubra. Why is it called an Akubra? That's just the brand. Oh, yeah. you guys love that. We do. Just calling things by their brand. The Akubra, the Dreiserbone, and the RM Williams. The Esky? Get on the horse and head out with the Esky. Is that a brand? Esky is a brand. <gasps> and we just like, even if it's not an Esky branded Esky, it's an Esky. Is that the same with Boots and R.M. Williams? Nah. No, that's sacred. <laughs> so sorry. I apologize. And Akubras. Right. They're made of, um, I think they're made of like felted rabbit fur. Oh. Yeah. Kind of gross, but anyway. The whole concept is offensive to me. Felted rabbit fur. A cowboy hat made of felted right. rabbit fur. It doesn't look like a cowboy hat. <laughs> a mini cowboy hat <laughs> made of rabbit fur. Okay. <laughs> An identikit sketch was produced from a compilation of witness accounts of the man's appearance. As soon as the police saw the image, they were shocked by the results. The man described by witnesses at the Adelaide Oval bore a striking resemblance to a sketch of the potential abductor of the Beaumont children, who disappeared from an Adelaide beach just seven years prior. At the time, the man seen with the Beaumont children was described as being in his 30s and thin. Could this have been the same perpetrator? Man, the Beaumont children. Mmm. That case got me into true crime, I'd say. It's pretty much, 
our most famous missing persons case here, I reckon. Yes. On Australia Day in 1966, so the 26th of January, Jane, who was nine, Anna, who was seven, and Grant Beaumont, who was four, disappeared from Glenelg Beach. Several witnesses had seen the children on and near the beach in the company of a tall man with fair to light brown hair and a thin face with a suntan complexion and medium build, aged in his mid-thirties. So it'd been seven years since that case and the children were still not found. It had gone cold, pretty much. Yeah, three children disappeared from a beach. Mm. The potential link between this case and the Beaumonts, while damning, didn't help police at all. The investigation into the Beaumonts had gone cold. Police continued searches on the ground to find Joanne and Kirsty, or a man who matched the description, and offered a $5,000 reward for public information. Despite these efforts and widespread media attention, the disappearance of the girls quickly became a cold case. We have the two composite sketches of these like two offenders mm-hmm. in front of us. Mm. First of all, charcoal drawings. Yeah, I wonder if it was the same artist. Oh, no, they look kind of different, not. don't they? Different styles. Yeah. But to be fair, and normally I'm like, man, this sketch is not helping. These sketches do look very similar. They have a similar, like, vibe. It's a very, like, thin, anemic-looking man with big ears. Big ears. And a big forehead. And a pretty long nose. And side by side, the features, like, match up in Mm. proportion. Isn't that strange? It is strange. In 1979, six years after the girls went missing, a coronial inquest into the disappearance concluded that the girls had been abducted. Joanne's father, Leslie Ratcliffe, said that it was not in his daughter's character to have left the Oval on her own volition, and agreed that she had been abducted. She had been to the ground a number of times, and it was unlikely that she got lost or wandered off. Even if she had, her parents had taught her how to use the telephone and dial an emergency number if she was ever in trouble, so they trusted that she would have done that if she had the opportunity to do so. The coroner said, It is extremely probable that both girls were taken either by force or under duress from the Adelaide Oval by some man whose identity at present has not been established. The perpetrator of this vicious act of abduction has of course not been apprehended, but as already stated, investigations are continuing. I earnestly trust that he will be apprehended in due course and made to answer for the heinous crime. However, after more than four decades and over 2,000 lines of investigation, there are still no answers as to what happened to Joanne and Kirsty that day. However, there are a number of suspects connected to this case. Arthur Stanley Brown is still considered to be the main suspect in the disappearance. Brown was arrested in 1998 for the 1970 rape and murder of sisters 5-year-old Suzanne and 7-year-old Judith McKay. After public attention was drawn to his arrest, a witness who had seen Joanne and Kirsty with a man at the Oval recognised him on television 25 years later. That's insane. Yeah. Something about that, I'm like, you've seen this thing, it's been kind of traumatic, it's burned into your memory, and then they come up again and you're like, that was them. Mm. And we have a picture of Arthur Stanley Brown here, Mm -hmm. and he looks kind of similar to those composite sketches. In fact, I'd almost say he, that's like spot on. Big ears. Mm Mm-hmm. Long face. Long face, hollow eyes, big forehead. Mm. Like, a long nose. Mm-hmm. So, there we go. Rizzy also chose a picture of him in a hat. I did choose a picture of him in a hat. But if I'm not wrong, that's not an Akubra. That doesn't look like an Akubra, no. Just looks like a fedora-shaped hat. But it 
it sells the same vibe. Sells it to me. I've sold it to you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Police investigated the potential link between Brown and a number of cases, including the Beaumont children and the Adelaide Oval abduction. Born in 1912, Brown would have been 61 at the time Joanne and Kirsty were abducted, and that puts him slightly outside the estimated age of the offender, which we remember to be mid 40s. Slightly. Yeah. 20 years. Just a bit. <laughs> Just a bit. Yeah, I guess I feel like between 40 and 60, especially like men. That's true. Can look way different. Plus, if you're wearing a coat and a Kubra, mm. that's hiding a lot of your like your features. A, a Kubra hiding all those forehead wrinkles that you get. Pop the collar of that coat. Mm. You don't have any neck wrinkles anymore. Mm-hmm. At the time of his arrest, Brown was 86 years of age. He stood trial for the rape and murder of the McKay sisters in 2000, but it resulted in a hung jury. When the prosecution attempted to secure a retrial, Brown was deemed mentally unfit to stand trial. He died in 2002, aged 90. Whatever secrets Brown was keeping died with him. Previously, Brown had been suspected of murdering his ill wife and molesting his wife's young relatives. It's safe to say, with the amount of allegations made against Brown, that he wasn't a good man. Whether he abducted Joanne and Kirsty remains unanswered. Another suspect is Stanley Arthur Hart. And you didn't hear that wrong. We just have a Stanley Arthur right after an Arthur Stanley. Yes. What's going on there? I don't know. I don't know. Hart was a former clerk in the Australian Army and was a part-time butcher. If we know anything about butchers... Red flag. That might be a red flag. Ten years after the abduction, he was found to have sexually abused children. According to Hart's family, he almost certainly would have been at the game at Adelaide Oval that day. He didn't go with the rest of the family, but he was a huge North Adelaide fan, and according to his family, quote, rarely missed a Roosters footy match. Mark Marshall, one of Hart's younger relatives, said that Papa Stan, which I guess is Stanley. Oh, you're so right. Yeah. Had taken a hat and coat to wear to the football that day. Hart would have been 56 years old when the girls were abducted, also making him slightly older than the estimated age of the offender. Before the disappearances, Hart had moved from his home in Adelaide suburb Parkside to an address in Yatana, three hours north of Adelaide. Apparently, this move was an attempt to curb his pedophilic activity because there are no children in Yatana. Yeah, I think his family were like aware of his like tendencies. And we're like, go isolate in Yatana and live alone by yourself. Potentially not a good move. Potentially an issue that would transcend location. Seemingly, yes. And then having no support network might make it worse. But anyway, this was the 70s. This Yatana property had been searched a number of times since the disappearance. Two wells on the property have been excavated, and a number of items were taken from the address, including a butcher's apron and pants, but no links were made. However, the Parkside address in inner-city Adelaide was never searched in relation to this case. Further, Hart had unrestricted and unmonitored access to an address in Prospect in Adelaide's north. The home had a large underground air raid shelter. According to Hart's sister, The bunker was still functional and large enough to fit at least four adults. The bunker was filled in in 1975, two years after the girls disappeared. At the time, the home was abandoned but had since been purchased. The same owners have had the home for 40 years but have never been contacted by the police to investigate the bunker. But it's filled in. 
It's filled in now, yes. But we've got that sonar. Oh, yeah. We could with, x-ray the ground or whatever. cement? I think you can still do that. Hart died in 1999, and just like Brown, his secrets died with him. Hart is sus, big time. Hmm. He is, isn't he? And the thing that his the younger relative said about the outfit he wore to the footy mm. is even more damning. That's sus. And Mark, who said that, didn't even say that in relation to this investigation. That, like, came out during a hearing that was about, like, familial sexual abuse. Oh. Yeah. So it wasn't even, like, he was, he'd made it up to try and, like, mm. yeah, you know. You'll also remember that on the day in question, Joanne's family had been accompanied by a family friend called Frank. During the search, Frank just sat quietly in his seat, not helping the other adults with the search. This behaviour has made him a key suspect in the girl's disappearance, but at the time, investigators didn't formally question him, which is something they've been criticised for. Apparently, Frank had intimate knowledge of the family's routine when it came to attending the football, including when the girls were and weren't allowed to visit the bathroom. On the day in question, Frank had left his seat around 30 minutes prior to when Joanne and Kirsty left for the bathroom for an unknown reason. Frank's identity, including his age, have never been made public. You cannot find out who this Frank is. That is crazy. Yeah. Frank could be 14 for all we know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I guess if he was young, then that would make his behaviour, like, not helping with the search, make sense. Mm. However, surely that's not the case then, because it was suspicious that he wasn't helping. Yeah. So he must have been an adult. Mm. Strange. Very strange. How can he be so protected? I don't know. Another suspect is Derek Percy. Percy was arrested for the murder of 12-year-old Yvonne Tui in 1969. Despite leading police to Yvonne's body, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity and was remanded in a mental health facility indefinitely. Percy said he could not remember whether he was involved in any other crimes, but investigations into his movements indicate that he was likely involved in a number of other offences as he was placed in the location of a number of crimes. Police also found journals depicting his sexual fetishes, including coprophilia, urophilia, torture, and cannibalism. Coprophilia is scat, if you've ever heard of that, and that's like, I mean, we can... Feces, that's the anatomically correct phrase. A feces fetish. I have never heard of the word scat. Really? Used in this context. I have only heard it in blues. And jazz. Oh, scat. That kind of scat. Well, often in, like, animal stuff, animal studies, you will study their scat. What? Yeah. Why don't we call our poop scat? I mean... I'm going for a scat. I'm going for a scat. You wouldn't even know if I'm going to a jazz bar or to the bathroom. Or to hunt out some animal poo. And urophilia? Urine. Yeah, that one makes a bit more sense. Yeah. I guess where there's smoke, there's fire. You know, if you're into one, you might be into the other. That's jail. I never want that was such a perfect description of these two fetishes. Mm. All in all, a very notable set of sexual fetishes to have. Mm -hmm. Yes. As you all know, we do not kink shame on the pod. We don't. We do not. No. So that's fine. If you're all into it, do whatever. But yeah. In context of the, the search for missing children. Yes. Not, Not good. Great. Not good at all. 
In 2007, police found 35 boxes in a storage unit in South Melbourne, which contained more diaries, maps, drawings and newspaper clippings. Percy was also investigated in relation to the disappearance of the Beaumont children. He admitted to being at the same beach that day, but denied any involvement. Percy has been linked to a large number of crimes, which has also made him a suspect in the Adelaide Oval disappearances. He died in 2013 from lung cancer, aged 64. He would have been 35 at the time the girls were abducted, putting him around the right age of the man witnesses saw. Man, these suspects are dropping left, right and centre. I know. And they never spilled the beans. A suspect with a familiar name is Bevan von Einem. You might remember von Einem from our episode on the family murders in Adelaide. Von Einem was convicted of the murder of 15-year-old Richard Kelvin, but is suspected of at least five other similar murders, known as the family murders, that took place in Adelaide in the 1970s and 80s. Von Einem would have only been 27 at the time of the Adelaide Oval disappearances, making him a little young to match the profile of the man. But there are a number of connections linking Von Einem. Firstly, he had told a key witness in his murder trial, Mr. B, that he had taken two girls from the Adelaide Oval during a football match and had killed them, but didn't elaborate any further. Secondly, a young man resembling Von Einem had been seen among onlookers in historical footage of the initial search, which was shot by Channel 7. The actual identity of the man in the footage has never been determined. Thirdly, Frank, Joanne's family friend, had sold his home in Campbelltown in Sydney to Von Einem's mother in the late 1970s. It seems that the two may have known each other. Stop this. He knows him, who knows her, who knows him, who mm. knows... I am... No. This is not a good time to be in Adelaide. No. Absolutely not. I feel like there was definitely some kind of network going on here. For sure. If you know what I mean. You wouldn't write it. You wouldn't write it. I know. Despite having a number of suspects which seem promising... No leads have ever produced enough evidence to charge any of them with the abduction of Joanne and Kirsty. In 2014, South Australian police increased the reward to $1 million for any information which leads to the recovery of the girl's remains or the conviction of the person responsible. After their daughter's disappearance, Joanne's family left the porch light on every night in the hope that if Joanne came home, she would know that they were waiting for her. Joanne's mother, Kathleen, passed away in March 2019 without ever finding out what happened to her daughter. In 2015, Joanne's younger sister, who was born after her sister disappeared, started an organisation called Leave a Light On, a homage to their family tradition, which aims to raise awareness of long-term missing persons. Kirsty's parents, Greg and Christine, are still alive and together have raised two other daughters, but remain hopeful for a resolution to Kirsty's disappearance. Man, these cases where the parents pass away before getting to know what happened to their kids Mm. are the worst. I know, these always have the saddest endings. And these kinds of disappearance cases just make you the most frustrated because it reminds me of like another case where a woman went missing off a cruise ship and Mm -hmm. they didn't alert anyone until the ship docked and people left and went and there was a lot of movement it's like the same kind of thing here where they lost the like vital first hour Mm. and then it was chaos and there's just no way you can track anything with a whole like a whole football oval emptying you know of people do you want to know something even more frustrating joanne's mother had approached the announcer at the ground to try and get an announcement made 
but mm. they refused to make one at the time when she first approached them because it would have interrupted the football. I know. You do not have to give me one more reason to not watch the footy. <laughs> yeah. How frustrating is that? Don't know. I've never liked sports enough to begin with. So in fact this this fact infuriates me. Mm. It's so easy to run these counterfactuals. What would have happened? What would have happened? Mm, that's true. That's true. We don't know what would have happened. And we don't know what happened. We just generally. Yeah, that's very true. Mm. All this to say an extremely sad case. Mm. Do you have what's your what theory are you putting forward, Helen? I've never come across such a case where all the suspects are so sus. Mm. They are all so sus, you know? Like all of them have a very strong like point as to how why how they could be the offender. I think firstly, Beaumont children and this disappearance definitely linked. Really? I think definitely linked and I think I think there's a much larger network than we think here in Adelaide in this at this cases. time period in Adelaide. I think, like, it's not a coincidence that Von Einem and Frank kind of knew each other. And we know from cases like the family murders, that in itself had, like, a huge network. Like, yeah. there were so many people involved in that. And, like, there was even this idea that there was way more people than the police ever knew about. Like, you know how there was all those suspected mm. members of quote-unquote, the family. Mm. Like, mm. it just seems like there was this some kind of, like, trafficking network in Adelaide at the time. I don't mm. know. To back a case about this and the Beaumont children being linked, I do think it takes a certain kind of offender to have the balls to take multiple children at the same time. In broad daylight. Yeah. In like a at, crowded at place. At crowded events. What? They... Go. I don't know. But, you know, I'm itching to do the Beaumont children now. Mm, me too. We'll pop the composite sketches, in this case, up on the gram. Mm, on our Instagram. Yeah, at BadAppleThePod. Chuck us a follow. Yeah, go have a look at what we're doing over there. It's yeah. me trying to, like, I'm trying to... Helen's graphic design is her passion. Flexing my graphic design skills yeah. over there. And if you are so inclined and enjoying this podcast, you can also leave us a review. Wherever you listen to your podcast. Yeah, but you can't on Spotify. Spotify. Not there. Anywhere else, but Mm. you can let us know what you think. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, enjoy the rest of your week. Two weeks. Yeah, fortnight. Yeah. And you'll hear from us again then. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you enjoyed. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.